Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? It's really cold today and really quite slippy. I took the dog for a walk and she's had a problem with her paw, but she's fine most of the time. But halfway on the walk, of course, she lifts up her paw to tell me that it's so sore she can't possibly walk on it anymore. So I was trying to carry her, but it's really slippy and I slipped. And the dog was just like, no, it's OK. I'll look after myself. You slip. I'm just going to walk. So that that was great. I tried to look after her, but uh, she wasn't having any of it. But never mind. We are having it with some books because I've got some great ones to talk to you about. Quite a selection today. So there should be a range. There should be something that floats your boat that makes you think yes. And before we get started, I just want to set off the fireworks and say thank you. Thank you to someone called E.C. Durley, who has left an Apple podcast review. Honestly, these mean so much to me. I shrieked when I saw it and it does mean a lot in the old podcast ratings. But uh, they they said, what a gem. Five stars. Tried this after a recommendation from David Butcher on the Radio Times podcast. What a gem. Loving the style and already have a list of new authors and titles to look out for. That is is so kind of you. Thank you so much. If you do have a chance to leave me a review, I'd be very grateful. But anyway, enough about that. Let's get to the books. What books do we have on today? We have five, I tell you. We have The Marriage Act by John Mars, and John is going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then we've got, this is a different one, Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Then we've got Bad for Good by Graham Bartlett, One Night in Hartswood by Emma Denny, and Washington Black by Essie Adudgeon. Now, there are a range of books, as I say. One I struggled with, the others I sailed through. So let's get started. Oh, and there needs to be an update on the pantomime. Uh, now, what's happening on the pantomime? Well, not very much. Oh, yes, yeah, something has happened on the pantomime. Uh, if this is the first episode you've listened to, I will get onto books very soon. But I'm in a pantomime at the moment where we're in rehearsals and I do a little update each week. 
it is a quick update, so don't worry. So basically, I have been put in charge of having a pencil and I have to sit next to the director. And if he makes a change to the stage directions, I have to take the pencil and make a note in the, his script. So far, there haven't been any changes. So I've sat there with the pencil in my hand, ready to go. So I have a have a job, but I haven't been able to do it. Never mind. It's all good fun. Anyway, let's get back to The Marriage Act by John Mars. Listen to the blurb on this one. Britain, the near future. A right-wing government believes it has the answer to society's ills. The sanctity of marriage act, which actively encourages marriage as the norm, punishing those who choose to remain single. But four couples are about to discover just how impossible relationships can be when the government is monitoring every aspect of their personal lives, monitoring every word, every minor disagreement, and is willing to use every tool in its arsenal to ensure everyone will love, honour and obey. Let's do the first sentence. The first chapter is about Jem Jones, transcript of a live broadcast made across multiple social media platforms by British vlogger and influencer Jem Jones. Transcriber's notes. Ms Jones is looking away from the camera when her broadcast begins. She's wearing little makeup. The dark roots of her blonde hair are visible and it is scraped back in a casual ponytail. I really enjoyed this book. Look, it, I think this is one of John's best. If you enjoyed reading The One, then you're going to love this. And I really enjoyed the slightly dystopian element to this. Uh, there's quite a few characters in and you might think, how am I going to remember all these characters? But I remember them because they're good, because they're well portrayed. There's something different about each of them. So I wasn't thinking, oh, who's that one? They were all clear to me. I love the romp through the story. I inhaled it. And it just made me think, made me think about, I'm not going to say the word because all of your listening devices may turn on, but shall we say, shall, shall I spell it A-L-E-X-A? Yeah, if it made me think that they are all listening. And what if they suddenly switched on and started recording what you were saying? And, oh, I don't know. And, you know, it's something that you can see... Somebody might have started with the best of intentions, but it goes horribly wrong. And the whole thing is just quite illuminating. But that's enough about me. Let's talk to John now. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back a returnee to the podcast, survived one episode and back for more, uh, <laughs> John Mars, whose latest fabulous book is The Marriage Act. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice to be here again. <laughs> OK, let's start with the real basics. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? OK, well, if there was a way for you to pay lower taxes and live in a bigger home in a better area and have access to improved health care, what would you say? I'm throwing that question over to you. Would you say yay or would you say nay based on that information? Yes, or based on that information, I'd be clapping my hands with glee and saying yes, please. <laughs> well, the cast of characters in my book are able to do just that because it's set in a world where the government offers smart marriage upgrades because it believes happy couples make for a better workforce. But there's a, there's, a, there's a little twist in that each one of these homes has to have an Alexa-style recording device which can record 10 minutes of your conversation every day. And if it decides hmm, there's something wrong with your marriage here, then it offer these little push notifications. It can even send a, a marital first responder to come and live with you and put you back on track. Or it can also divorce you. Um, so, yeah, that's the basic plot. So, so are you going to say yes to one now? <laughs> no, as I was reading the book, I thought, my goodness, if uh, I saw our 
device flashing red and uh, recording everything that we were saying for 10 minutes a day. I think, um, yes, that's quite quite concerning. How did you get the idea for this? Were you just looking at your listening device? I won't say the name in case everyone switches on one day and thinking, oh gosh, what if it heard things? It was not actually totally my idea. It was my my husband's idea. So we have a couple of friends um, who now live in a, in a different country and they'd been through quite a lot together, but they were a couple who we thought would be a forever couple. They would, they would, you know, they'd been through all this sort of various, various things in their lives, but they'd survived it. And then they announced that they were splitting up, and it really threw us. Um, and it just, we just, we were just talking on this walk. We were down in Oldborough at the time on holiday, and we were just, we were just talking. Well, you know, what if there was a way that, if, you know, obviously they didn't realise at some point that their relationship was on its way out. What if there was a way that something could happen? that would tell you, mm. hey, your marriage could be at risk here, you're, you, you're maybe not talking to each other or listening to each other how you should be. Um, and then that became, oh, what happens? Push notifications from like a, a, a recording device in your home. Then that went on and on and on, and then that ended up becoming the marriage act. And there's a certain amount of world building. It, it I describe it as slightly dystopian. It's sort of, it's, it could almost yeah. be tomorrow. It's not way in the future, which makes it... yeah easy to visualize and certainly the way you put it in the book it it doesn't take a lot for the reader to try and sort of understand it is that part of is that important to you to make it clear and immediate absolutely so it's it's in the same they're not sequels but it's in the same universe as my books the one the passengers and the minders and i think Mm. When I write speculative fiction, I try and do it in a way that it doesn't sound too futuristic. I think even putting a date like 2050 or something like that in a book would... There be, there'd be, would be readers who perhaps wouldn't be on board as they would be to suggesting that this is set in the future rather than actually putting a date on it. So any of my speculative fiction books, there's never a date attached to them. Just because I think it's easy, they're easier to get into. Yes, if someone says to me, oh, it's, I don't know, 2050, I'm expecting spaceships and... Flying cars. Yes, exactly. Whereas this book, I I could imagine it happening very soon and that makes it more concerning for me. Yeah, that's the idea. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's really up to date. I mean, how close... We, to uh, the proofs being sent out and publication date coming up, how close were you writing it? Because you've got inflation, strikes, all sorts of things that happened to, as the setup for this. I'm trying to think when I actually finished it, you know, and off the top of my head, I'd have to look in my notes because I tend, I, there's only like about a week break I have between books. And so when I finished that one, I wrote another one. So that's just gone to my editor now. And I'm coming up for draft number four three or four of the or one after that um which and that's like that one i started in september so you know to be honest i think it was probably around about last easter that i finished this one and then there's like a period of time where your editor goes through it and then comes back with notes and feedback and then so you can do lots and lots of rewrites so probably i think the last round of rewrites was maybe in about august last year 
Wow, so you are basically Mystic Meg. You are foreseeing all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I like to think, yes, I like that. I actually used to work for a magazine where Mystic Meg um, was the astrologer. And this is how she, be- how she became famous. And every now and again, she'd come floating through the office. And it was literally quite surreal because <laughs> she would almost wear the kind of stuff that she would wear on the, uh, on the National Lottery. She'd just like waft through past the desk and be like, ooh, thanks here. <laughs> Do you hide under your desk because you don't want her to say something about your future? (laughs) (laughs) Just don't look her in the eye. Don't look her in the eye. Yes, no contact. Yeah, Meg Meg wasn't her name, if I remember right. It was something else, like Sharon or something (laughs) like those lines. And that kind of ruined the the image, didn't it? (laughs) And as you mentioned the other books, I love how there's a reference to some of the other books, like The One. And it's no problem Uh, if you haven't read that. You you literally can go straight into the marriage act. But... I like that. I see. I love an Easter egg in a book as well, and all of my books are right. Speculative fiction for um, Pam McMillan, and psychological thrillers for um, Thomas and Mercer, and. In all of the psychological thrillers, there are little Easter eggs, there are little characters who'll just pop up, even maybe just for a paragraph or an address that'll appear, or there'll be some reference to another book. And I do the same with with um, the speculative fiction. And I find it quite easier to do with the speculative fiction, because once you've built the world for the one, you can kind of dip in, in and out, and then the passengers, like there's a character that I'm writing now who was in the passengers, who's now in the book that I'm next speculative fiction one I'm writing for after the marriage act. And we've seen the one turned into a major Netflix, TV series Uh, is the marriage act heading that way I presume so it would be nice you know I'm I'm going to be one of these really annoying vague persons and I'm well you know who knows but there are are talks let's just say that there are talks but there are no guarantees because you know you get I've had other books optioned and they still are being optioned Um, and sometimes they work out and like the the uh, the one did, and other times they don't necessarily work out. And so until it's actually filmed and in the can, that's only when I will like believe that it's going to happen. Well, that that's reasonable. But has that process of seeing the one come onto the screens and be done affected then how you're writing books at all? I don't think it has to be honest because I think I've always written. I've tried to write like cinematically, like I can picture it on a screen. Um, before I did this this writing malarkey, I was a journalist, and like for the last ten years, a lot of it was going out on set visits to TV programs and sometimes movies, um, and seeing what goes on behind the scenes, and then interviewing the cast, and then just like writing kind of colour pieces about uh. it, and that really helped with my writing because I can see in my head when I'm writing where the characters would be in a room or what's surrounding them in the room or perhaps way the way they're lit or the way the sun would come in from the window at them. Um, that kind of thing. So were you more, uh, I hate using these terms, panthers and planners, but are you more writing it as it's happening in your imagination as a film? You know what, as I, I used to be just absolute panther for my first four or five books. I just used to, because I had, probably because I had the time then. Mm. So I wrote my first five books mainly on trains or in like little bits like lunch breaks at work, things like that. Um, and I had the, the luxury of time, and now I don't necessarily have the luxury of time. So I have to use my time more productively. Like I'm married, we've got a little boy, he's three years old. Um, so obviously it keeps you on your toes, constantly wanting attention and to be played yeah. with. So I don't have a massive amount of time. Um, 
So I have to make the best use of it. So now I plot quite, not in massive detail, just like a couple of paragraphs, say, per chapter, so I know where it's going, so that when I come to start writing it, I'll look at these chapters, these little brief, like, two-paragraph things, like, right, I know what I need to do here. And it just speeds the process up so much more. And in the book, we hear views from different characters. Some seem good, some seem bad, but, you know, who who knows? The book will, will reveal. How did you manage to get their voices very clear? Because... I have to admit, sometimes I get a bit confused, not with your book, of course, but with other books about, oh, who was that and who was that? Whereas yeah. you, you yeah. it sounds like I'm sucking up to you, but you, you do manage to make them very Please clear. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that's, that is all, that's always the danger because, yeah, the same as you. If I read a book and they've got a lot of characters in, there's one I'm thinking in particular, which has got about 10 different main characters in, and I ended up abandoning it because I couldn't, remember who was who mm. if you don't have the time to like sit and devour a book in one sitting as a lot of people do and you it's spaced over a couple of weeks it's really hard mm. um so yeah i try and do i mean a lot of my books are quite multiple characters um particularly the speculative fiction like i think there's four couples and, and, and one other person in there so I, I think it often begins with names and trying to give them names that people will remember that helps a lot, and kind of brief descriptions or like a little character tra- character trait, like for example, a scar on the side of their face or their hair tied up in a mad kind of knots and, and whatever. I think that can often help. But yeah, I mean, I you know I do read sometimes read reviews of my books, and I see a few people say, yeah, it took me a while to get into, as there were a few characters, but once I did, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I absolutely get that. Cause it, it's the same with me and other people's books. Yes, but you do it very gently. It's not. It's not hard, and the characters are very distinct, so you you can't get confused between the characters and all that happens to them. Yeah, well, the book that I'm writing, the speculative fiction one I'm writing at the moment, I'm on about draft three or four of, I have issues with that at the moment because um, I'm seeing characters that are too similar. In my head, they are very, very different, but when I'm then reading it on the page and what I've written, they are too similar, and I'm even mistaken in myself, so that's going to need quite an overhaul to get them right. So when you hear the news about whatever's going on, do, you, do you, instead of sitting there like we do with our head in our hands, thinking, oh, my goodness, this is the way the world's going, are you sitting there going, ha, 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 uh, more <laughs> material for my next book? Yeah, sometimes. I've, I think I'm always looking at the notes section on my phone because I'm always making, like, note after note of like ideas so you can't probably see that like note after note of oh, ideas yeah. and things like that of like little storylines or or stuff like that's quite interesting well people send me them as well readers send them to me uh, my editor sends them to me as well and if it sparks something then that that's amazing and do any of the characters stay with you afterwards because if you're having to move on to another book in a way i suppose they can't stay around talking to you in your head as much but does that happen no no, no. No, I'm quite ruthless. Well, that's it. So once the, so, so sometimes books can take about in, including like editorial draft, you know, drafts with your editor. They can take about I don't know about ten months from start to finish to completion, and in that period of time, you write and you read and you write and you read, and then I listen to the audio book when it comes out. Then at that point, I'll have nothing more to do with the book. That's it. Um, but even before that, I think the characters are often they're often dead to me because I have to because you have to move on to something else. And occasionally, as I say, I re- resurrect them for um, for in other books as little bit parts. And I was interested with this book if there was something you particularly wanted us to take away from the book. You know what what did we need to learn apart from questioning everything? And I certainly felt as a mother, I need to come. <laughs> 
<laughs> come off the socials more. And spend, <laughs> spend more time. I felt seen, John. I felt seen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaming you. Yes, completely. No, uh, you know what? You know what? People people often ask this: What are you trying to say in the book? What's your What's your message? And you know what? There isn't a message. Mm. Honestly, there's not. I'm just trying to kind of pick out characters who are interesting and who you might like and who you might not like, and and highlight their flaws. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to tell anybody anything in particular. Like the passengers was about driverless cars, and yeah, it was quite a more of a negative, um, negative view of them. But it was just for the process of storytelling. Because when driverless cars do come out, I'd love one because I'm lazy. I'd quite happily let something drive me all the time. Um, yeah, I just try and I just try and entertain with the story. Um, and if, if if people want to read a little bit more deeply into what I've written, then that's the beauty of books that they can do. I remember once having an interview with um, an American journalist and she was asking me all of these questions about the one. And honestly, I felt so stupid because I couldn't answer them because I'd not thought that deeply about it. I just wanted to write a book that would entertain, make you think a little bit, but not try and change your opinion on anything. Mm. That makes sense. No, it does. So, yeah, you're giving us the option to just explore a theme with you and see the, the, the good side and um, maybe not quite the yeah. the good side and, yeah, I suppose, draw our own conclusions. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, you are now a full-time author. That That is your thing. Do, but does writing give you as much pleasure as it did with book one? Mm, interesting question, does it? I see it more of a job now than I do maybe as a pleasure. That first book, there was no pressure whatsoever. Mm. I could do what I, however much I wanted to when I wanted to. I could stop when I wanted to. I could start when I wanted to. If it didn't sell anything, that was fine because it was self-published. I've you know, given it my best shot. So there was, I guess there was, a more, there was more fun attached to it than potentially that there is now. Now I have to think of it more as in, okay, what do I want to write about? What interests me? What do you think your readers will go with? Because there will be storylines that you come up with uh, and books you come up with that maybe don't necessarily do as well as other ones. Um, I have one book, I'm not going to name it, that didn't do particularly well. I'm, I'm quite proud of it, but I can see why it didn't because I kind of I think I went too far away from what readers expected me. And there is that pressure on well-established authors for what readers expect yeah. of you and your books. And it, it, I imagine it can constrain you sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky that you've got two different publishers and two different genres. Absolutely. But still, your name is is up there. So people expect you to entertain them. And I'm fortunate that so many of my readers have gone with me from, from the two genres that I write in. Really, really lucky because that doesn't often happen or writers have to change their names and say also writing as blah 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 so I'm very very fortunate in that respect Mm. I'm interested though going back was there one moment or one event in your life that turned you into an author I don't think there was you know I think I was because the first book I wrote was when I was writing for a couple of tabloid newspapers and I just I just had this I read something in the Guardian Guardian magazine a letter to it and it was a, a woman who was writing an anonymous letter to her husband who'd vanished 15 years ago and it was telling her what had happened telling him what had happened to their children and how their lives had been since he'd vanished I had no idea where he was and that gave me the idea for my first book when you disappeared I thought I'd quite like to write a book let's see if I could do it and so I gave it a go and just to see whether I could accomplish it and if anybody read it brilliant my idea is when I I wrote to about I, think I probably might have told you this last time but I wrote to about 80 different agents and publishers and got rejected by every single one of them so I self-published on Amazon instead I thought if I could get 100 people to download this book 100 people I didn't know that would be absolutely amazing 
I think the figure's something like about 350,000 now, which is still apt. It was one of those numbers that I can't quite get my head around. And it, it inspired me to kind of try and write in more and see whether people were still interested. But it was, um, it was never like a burning desire ever since I was a kid or anything to write a book. It was just see whether I could do it. And then turns out, fingers crossed, I can. Oh, absolutely. Well, the most important question, of course, that I need to ask you is um, uh-huh. what is your biscuit of choice when you're writing? What biscuit is powering these stories? Well, you know what? I'm not a massive biscuit fan. I don't oh. mind them. But someone, two people bought us massive boxes of biscuits for Christmas. Yeah. And we put them into, and someone also bought us a biscuit tin. So we put them into that. And I went into it recently and I found that my husband had snaffled almost all of them. <laughs> all the good ones. <laughs> all the, Just all of them, basically. There was about five left. But then I can't really complain because, you know, when he was, goes into the after eight box that we also got for Christmas, there's about two left and just loads of empty wrappers. Yes. If I had to go for a biscuit, if I had, oh, it's probably something really uninteresting like a hobnob chocolate hobnob or what are we counting jaffa cakes as biscuits oh well now we could spend another hour debating (laughs) that john i am classifying it as a biscuit definitely i know there's cake in it but it's a biscuit to me i'm going i'm going jaffa cake then okay well well, jaffa cake's the winner runner-up is a hobnob so if you're an after eight fan a, a mint club wouldn't um Oh, no. no, no, um, you're pushing me too far there, Philip. You're pushing me too far. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> you're never coming back on this podcast after this. That's it, I'm we're, we're done. You and I are over. <laughs> <laughs> My last question is a weird one. Good at the moment, you find me rehearsing for the role of fairy godmother in the pantomime Cinderella. Uh-huh. And my question to you is if you were in the pantomime Cinderella, what part would you like Ooh. to play? Now, could I play two parts? So that's something that was something like a pumpkin and then is transferred, transformed into something else. So I could get more stay, <laughs> get more stage time yes. and, more, and more attention. Would that be possible? Of course it would, yes. Okay. If that's what you okay. want. I don't think I quite have the legs for an ugly sister. I don't think that would be particularly pleasant. So, yeah, I'm going to go for I'm going to be a pumpkin stroke carriage. OK, wonderful. And transform in all your gloriousness. Well, and possibly the greatest, most random question I've ever been asked. So thank you for that. <laughs> you can rely on me. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. And just can't wait to hear more people raving about your latest book, The Marriage Act. John Mars, thank you so much. Thank you, Philip. And thank you for your support, as always. Oh, thank you. Coming up, four more book reviews. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. 
Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But let's get back to the books. And this one. What a book. Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Okay, let's do the blurb. After decades of adventuring, Viv the Orc Barbarian is hanging up her sword for good. Now she sets her sights on a new dream, opening the first coffee shop in Thune. Even though no one there knows what coffee actually is. If Viv wants to realise her plans, she'll need help from unexpected quarters. Yet old rivals and new stand in the way of success, and Thune's shady underbelly could make it all too easy for Viv to take up the blade once more. But the true reward of the uncharted path is the travellers you meet along the way, whether bound by ancient magic, delicious pastries or a freshly brewed cup. They may become something deeper than Viv could ever have imagined. Let's do the first sentence of this book and then I need to tell you what I think because I have words. I'm not going to do the prologue. I'm going to do chapter one. Viv stood in the morning chill, looking down into the broad valley below. The city of Thune bristled up from a bed of fog that hazed the banks of the river bisecting it. Here and there, a copper-clad steeple flashed in the sun. I loved this book very, very much. It is fantasy, but if you are... If if you're into fantasy, you're going to love it. But if you're not into fantasy, you're going to love it. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're thinking, oh, I'd like to get into fantasy, but I don't know where to start, read this. It's, It's just... Forget whether it's fantasy or not. It's a wonderful book. The descriptions of the coffees and... I don't want to spoil the plot, but let's just say the word pastries... Oh my goodness, it's just warm and comforting and you've got these great characters in and you've got all sorts of risk and love and it's about acceptance and it's about, oh, it's it's a lovely book. And I did listen to some of the audiobook as well, which is uh, narrated by the author and he does it brilliantly. It's a superb narration as well. So whether you're wanting a book to listen to or a book to sit and read and turn the pages, whatever, it's great. Really, really good. Bravo, bravo, something different. So there's two good books already. And now here's a third one. You've had a slightly dystopian, a thriller. You've had a sort of fantasy book. And now I bring you a crime book, but a crime book with a difference. This is Bad for Good by Graham Bartlett. Graham is, he's been in the police force for a long time. What he doesn't know about policing, technical term there, isn't worth knowing. And he's the one that I think all authors go to to check their details. So if they've written a crime book or a book with police in it, they go to Graham to make sure that they've got it right. 
And he's written a book and it's the first in the series. In fact, Graham's going to come on in a couple of months time when the second book in this series is out. And I can't wait to talk to him about that. So basically, this chap knows what he's talking about. And let me read you the blurb on this. The murder of a promising footballer, son of Brighton's highest ranking police officer, means Detective Superintendent Joe Howe has a complicated and sensitive case on her hands. The situation becomes yet more desperate following devastating blackmail threats. Howe can trust no one as she tracks a brutal killer in a city balanced on a knife edge, a vigilante action and a police force riven with corruption. Let's do the first sentence. 8.30am, Friday 27th of April. As the steel baton shattered his right kneecap, Wayne Tanner wished he had broken his golden rule and driven away from trouble this time. This book, there's a lot to it, but persevere because it is amazing. It's not crime as in, oh, something's happened. How are we going to solve it? Who did what? Well, there is that, but... It's more like Line of Duty, guys. And if you like Line of Duty, who doesn't? You're going to love this book. It's authentic. It's challenging. You go by the seat of your pants. I, I realise who did it, but that didn't stop me loving this book. It's great. It's different crime. And that's what we want. I really enjoyed it. I cannot wait to read book two. This is a really really good book. If you are into crime, get it and read it. Bad for good, Graham Bartlett. See, we're, we're coasting through these. We're rocking and rolling through these. The next one. Well, this is a book with a difference. Now, first of all, when I was contacted by Mills and Boone, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure. Mills and Boone, I remember from years ago being a certain type of book. And I, I'm not sure if that's what I really want to be reading. And I got this book and I love it. Let me tell you about it. So One Night in Hartswood is written by the brilliant Emma Denny. And here's the blurb on this. Oxford, 1360. When Penn and Raff meet in Hartswood Forest, the only truth they know of each other is a brief moonlit kiss they had shared the night before. But Penn is escaping an arranged marriage to a woman he has never seen. Raff is tracking the elusive missing groom of his sister to restore his family's honour. Neither are looking for a travelling companion, yet both men find themselves drawn to each other in ways never imagined. Unaware of their true identities, together they venture north through Hartswood Forest and, as their bond deepens, their fates become irrevocably entwined. Yet continued concealment will threaten everything they know and trust in each other. And when secrets are finally revealed and the consequences of their relationship become clear, both must decide what they will risk for the man they love. I just, I just, it's just, it's simple, it's lovely, it's genuine, it's a wonderful love story and more. There's some hot and steamy sections in this. This isn't one to do sit and read with the kids, let me tell you. But it's lovely. I immediately know of people who are going to love this. And you know, are you, are you team Raph? Are you team Pen? It's a beautiful book. It's a gorgeous cover it's lovely I am I'm so glad I got this book to read because it's different again spicy it's lovely Re really good really enjoyed that one so that's another one One Night in Hartswood by Emma Denny the last book as I said is Washington Black by Essie Adudgeon and let me read you the blurb on this one 
When two English brothers take the helm of a Barbados sugar plantation, Washington Black, an 11-year-old field slave, finds himself selected as personal servant to one of them. The eccentric Christopher Titch Wilde is an inventor, explorer and abolitionist whose determination to build the perfect aerial machine mystifies all around him. Soon, Titch's idealistic plans are shattered and Washington finds himself in mortal danger. They escape together, but then Titch disappears and Washington must make his way in the world alone, following the promise of freedom further than he ever dreamed possible. And let's do first sentence. I might have been 10, 11 years old. I cannot say for certain when my first master died. No one grieved him. In the fields we hung our heads, keening, grieving for ourselves and the estate sale that must follow. Listen, this, it is an incredible book. It is brilliantly written. The story is so compelling. But I, it's the slavery, it's so brutal. I just found it very hard to read. It's about a journey. It's brilliantly written. It's never boring. It's it's just sad. And with all my Jamaican family, I just felt hurt for them as as I was reading it but it's it is a superb book and I think if you're into historical books if you can read books like that and not be as effective I'm just a softie and it really hurt me reading it but that just shows it's a good book so and it was um, shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2018 take that from you will not a bad book at all I'm the bad person being such a silly silly reader a lightweight but there we go those are your books I do hope that one of them or more has just lit a light for you and you're like I've got to get that book because there's some great ones so what have we had we have had The Marriage Act by John Mars and John very kindly came on to talk to us all about that book uh, then we had Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry that's a great book then we had Bad for Good by Graham Bartlett that's a great book. Then we had One Night in Hartswood by Emma Denny. Well, that's a great book. And then we had Washington Black by Essie Dungeon. And it is a great book. It's just me being the softy lightweight that I am. Those are your books. I've got some great ones to tell you about next week. Some great authors to talk to as well. I'm going to send you on your way. It's a short one this week. Just take care. I hope you're all right. I hope everything's going all right for you. Look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.